In chapter 4 of Acts, starting in verse 1, it says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, who has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred, conferred together. What are we going to do about these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows, what they have performed, knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. During COVID, uh, journey was so great to bring these around to many of our doorsteps uh, so that we could celebrate Advent with our families when we were all still, um, you know, kind of hunkering down in place in our homes. And so our family has continued to go through this little Advent calendar, and the Advent calendar looks like this. If you have it, you know, but if, if you don't have one, each day there's a number on one side and then the name of Jesus on the other side. And last weekend on Saturday, our family was doing what we usually do at dinner time. We have one of the kids go and, you know, pull the number for today off and bring it down to the dinner table, and we talk about what that name of Jesus is. And so last Saturday, it was Cornerstone. And, and you know, what a great name of Jesus, Cornerstone. I'm just going to put this right here. Um, and the kids started asking, what's a Cornerstone? And so my husband, John, and I were trying to come up with, like, some explanations for this. What is a cornerstone? 
And so, you know, we kind of started throwing out, oh, I think it's like the corner of like a building, or maybe it's like in an arch. You know, we're trying to, it's in the song in Christ alone. It's something about a cornerstone. And so we're trying to explain this to the kids, this, um, this word that shows up all throughout the Old and New Testament. And today this shows up in our passage. One of the things that um, we do during the season of Advent is we look back at the prophetic passages, the passages that tell us who this baby Jesus was going to be. And there are several of these passages, passages, these prophetic passages that tell us something about Jesus as the cornerstone. So we begin today with Isaiah 28, 16. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Um, This this last part is worded differently in in different translations. Um, One also says, the one who trusts will never be dismayed. When we trust in the cornerstone, we will not be dismayed. We will not be troubled. We will not be stricken with panic. Psalm 118 tells us of this cornerstone as well. Give thanks to the Lord, says Psalm 118, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. I will give thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession. Bows in hand, let us join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. These pictures of a cornerstone, a cornerstone apparently, as someone who is not a builder, apparently these cornerstones were these were, were these um, big, solid stones, these ones that were most carefully crafted because this was going to be what was used to guide the building of the rest of the building. The whole building would use this cornerstone, this bigger, most steady, most perfectly um, shaped stone would guide the rest of the building. This would be the one that was strong enough to hold the weight of the others. This was the one that the building depended on, the cornerstone. And Jesus calls himself our cornerstone. So as we dig into our text today, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are here. You are in this room. You are alive. And so as we recount the prophecies, and acknowledge that you are faithful, 
that you are here and that you work through your people, the church, and that you will return again. As we, as we celebrate and meditate on these significant truths, we pray that you will be our teacher today, that you will open up our hearts to put deeper trust in you today, Jesus. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. So we've been in a series here at Journey throughout the season of December um, called Advent in Acts. We've been studying Acts, and we find ourselves this week in Acts 4. Now, in order for us to dig into Acts 4, we actually need to kind of go back a few weeks to remember some of what has happened, because what happened, as you know, Jesus ascended into heaven, and then the disciples are trying to figure out, okay, what do we do next? And so they're sharing all they have. They're spending all their time in prayer. They're doing these miracles and wonders, and people are coming to faith in Jesus in Jerusalem. And then we find out this miracle that we get some very specific details about a miracle that happened in Acts 3. And Pastor Mitchell spoke about this several weeks ago, where all of a sudden um, there's this story of this man who could not walk, who was healed. And so I'm going to remind us of that story, Acts 3, 1 through 10. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them, because remember, as Pastor Mitchell told us, um, there was, everybody was sharing everything that they had, and so there was access to, to money, to gold and silver, to these things, but they did not have that with them, and they said, um, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I give to you I, I, is in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And so this story is the foundation for what we're going to learn about today. Because this story is this first very detailed story that we have of one of these wonders that happened through the power of the Holy Spirit, where Jesus was using his followers, empowering them to be able to do these great works in Jerusalem. So this man who everybody knows, who had been there for years and years and years at the temple gates, all of a sudden, now he's walking. And everybody recognizes him and knows this is not someone different. This is the same guy. So, so he is able to talk about what happened. And there's this, there's this acknowledgement that something very significant has happened. This is a meaningful sign. And so because one of the things I love about Luke's writing, remember Acts is also connected to Luke, same author. So Luke is 
part one. Acts is part two. So any, anything in Acts, when we're reading it, we need to ask ourselves the question like, is this supposed to remind me of something that Jesus did? Is this supposed to remind me of one of the stories that Luke already told us in the Gospel of Luke? And that story of that healing, think for just a minute, which story does it remind you of? It probably actually reminds you of a few of Jesus's healings, but the one that Luke tells in particular is when Jesus heals the man on the mat. Do you remember this? Jesus was teaching, and then the friends, you know, carve through the roof of someone's house that's not their own and lower their body down right before Jesus. And Jesus is sitting there teaching and like, oh, behold, there is a man right in front of me. And, and then Jesus heals this man and he gets up and he walks. So we're supposed to remember this story in Luke 5 as we come to the story of now Peter and John in the power of Jesus doing the same thing. Jesus did this first. They watched him. And now as his disciples, they are carrying on the legacy of Jesus in the power of Jesus, which is what discipleship means. That, and for us as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, we pay attention to what did Jesus do because Jesus is going to continue to use his followers to speak the same way, to care about the same things, to do the same kinds of works. And so this is what we see here. We see um, his followers carrying out this marvelous sign. So this brings us to today's passage. Today, we, we have this passage that is about Peter and John going before the Sanhedrin. And why are they going before the Sanhedrin? Because of this miracle. Because God has just moved through them. And because now this person who um, in, in Acts 3 had not been able to walk, who had been at the temple gate called Beautiful, and now is able to walk, this is causing problems. So last week, if you were here, you heard Pastor Scott talk about um, Peter and John talking to all of the people who saw it. All, there's this huge crowd that saw the miracle, and so they are, they are talking about what happened. Peter is giving this huge sermon, and what Peter is essentially saying as he stands before all of the people who witnessed the miracle is he's saying, repent, turn to God. This is, Jesus was crucified, but he came back to life. Repent so you can be refreshed, so you can walk in the ways of Jesus. Join us. So he's giving this big speech, and then in Acts 4, the speech is interrupted. The sermon is interrupted because all of these religious leaders come up to Peter and John, and this is what they say. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So mid-sermon, they come and they take them away. And then it's, the text says, they were greatly disturbed. Who's the they? The they is all of these religious leaders. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. So there's been this major sign, this major healing. This person who everyone knew is now up walking around talking about it. Peter and John have had this opportunity to explain what happened and to invite others into this knowledge and love and followership of the living Jesus. And now 
Their, their sermon has been interrupted. The, um, all of the religious leaders are very panicked about the situation because they had intended for Jesus' death to be the end of the story. But that was not what God intended. So people are now coming to faith and the miracles of Jesus are continuing even after Jesus was crucified. So they're greatly disturbed. So what are we, okay, now it's evening. What are we going to do with these guys? Well, we got to keep them somewhere. We don't want them out on the loose. They're causing trouble. So we put them in jail. And then we're going to figure out what to do. We've locked them up, and now they are going to be in jail. We're going to figure out what to do. If you recall in Acts 2, one of the things that Acts tells us is their number was being added to daily. So this thing is growing, 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 this movement of the Spirit. So verse, what, 7 tells us, let's say verse 7, 4. But many who heard the message believed. Okay, so Peter and John are now in jail. They've just given this sermon. And this is, so, this is such a cool thing that, like, God can work behind us. We're faithful to God, and God can work on the back end of things. So Peter and John have just, they've just done this miraculous healing through the power of the Holy Spirit. They've given this sermon. They have no idea what the result will be because they're ushered off to jail. But God is still at work. God is still at work. And so verse 4 tells us, but many who heard that sermon believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, this, the underlining of men up here is important because in those days, in this particular culture, they only counted men. So this is not representative of also all of the women and children that came to follow Jesus. And because of where the sermon took place, women and children would have had access to this sermon. They would have been there too. So this number is much greater than 5,000. So Peter and John don't even know, like, that was a great sermon. (laughs) (laughs) Like more than 5,000, like a lot more than 5,000. In Jerusalem, in one city, all of a sudden had, had come to faith in Jesus. I think of that passage in Psalm 139, you know, that God goes behind and before. And this is an instance of that. God is going behind. They don't even know what God is still doing. They were just being faithful. And people are coming to faith in Jesus, repenting and turning toward God. So they're in jail. Things are happening in Jerusalem. And the very next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law, they met. Okay, we've got to figure out what to do. Let's pull the committee together. We've got to figure out what we're going to do about this movement that was supposed to end with the death of Jesus and is now spreading. So the next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. Now, what we should think of, what what this is going to jog our memory to is Jesus, because Jesus stood before the same group just weeks before, okay? Then they had Peter and John brought before them from jail and began to question them. 
by what power or what name did you do this? Like they're trying to figure out what's going on here. So Peter and John are now standing before the Sanhedrin, the very group that Jesus had stood before before he was crucified. And so what Luke wants us to remember as they ask this question, by what power or what name did you do this? This was a question that was asked of Jesus himself numerous times, but particularly now we're going to remember the story of Jesus in Luke 20. And this is an interesting one because he's going to bring up the same passage as we're going to get to here with um, Peter and John. So what happens in Luke 20 is is Jesus is teaching in the temple, preaching the gospel, and, and the chief priests and the scribes, together with the elders, confronted Jesus and spoke to him saying, tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? And who is it who gave you this authority? So, that, so now we have Peter and John being asked the same question that Jesus had been asked. By what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus said to them, this is a longer passage, but he says, neither will I tell you by what authority. So Jesus gets all snarky with them. And is like, I'm not telling you. I hope you know. I'm not telling you. And then Jesus goes into a parable. And the parable he tells is the parable of the tenants, which essentially is this story about um, a vineyard owner who entrusts his vineyard to some caretakers. And then when it's harvest time, the, the vineyard owner asks for some portion of the fruit to be sent to him so he can enjoy some of his own harvest of this land and these vines that he owns. And the, the caretakers are like, no, you may not have some of that. And so they bring harm to three different servants of the vineyard owner. And then ultimately, the vineyard owner says, I will send my own son. Now, this is a parable. And uh, and so in verse 14, when the tenants saw the son, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then, says Jesus, will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. This is an intense parable. And the people who are listening to Jesus' parable said, Oh, God forbid. Oh, my goodness. What an intense story. And Jesus looks directly at them and says, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So Jesus is using this prophetic passage that we're talking about today. He uses this and he's referring to himself. He's saying, you know, in response to this question, by what authority are you doing these miracles? Jesus is saying, I'm not going to tell you, but he talks about the stone which he is that the builders these religious leaders will reject, but it has, he has become the cornerstone for the house of God. And so the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest Jesus immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. They were afraid of the people. And we're going to see a very similar situation here with Peter and John. So so Jesus is saying, I am the cornerstone. You are about to reject me. You don't even recognize by what authority I do this. 
So we're jumping forward back into our story. Now Peter and John coming back from jail, standing before the Sanhedrin in the very same way that Jesus had, these followers of Jesus walking in these same footsteps that Jesus had. And so then the text tells us from our Acts 4 passage today, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember Pentecost, which empowered the followers of Jesus with the power of God. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. And then they go on to tell about who Jesus is. It is by this power, it is by this authority, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom, oh, these are some fighting words, whom you crucified, whom you crucified, Peter and John say to the Sanhedrin, to the religious leaders, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed, this guy who Pastor Mitchell told us about. This man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you, again, fighting words, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. The prophecy has been fulfilled. The prophets in Isaiah and Psalms and other places who talked about this cornerstone who would be the foundation for the church. This prophecy has been fulfilled, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to, to humankind by which we must be saved. And then when the Sanhedrin saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they're just like ordinary guys who haven't had a lot of education, who haven't had all of the Greek rhetorical training they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered Peter and John to just go away from them. Just go away. And then we're going to have the committee's going to meet because now 5,000 more people have just men. 5,000 more men have just come to faith in Jesus, and this power of the Holy Spirit is making things happen, things that are kind, yes, but also things that are scary to the religious leaders, things that remind them of the trouble they had with Jesus. What are we going to do with these men, they asked in their committee meeting. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows about this, and we cannot deny it. We can't pretend this didn't happen. Everybody knows already. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them. We must warn them not to speak any longer to any about, about um, I better just read it as is. We must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So this is their great plan. This is what the committee comes up with. We'll just tell them, don't speak the name of Jesus anymore. That's the big plan. So then they called Peter and John back into the committee meeting and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Do not do it. This, is, this reminds me of the story of Daniel. Like, you will not pray anymore to Jesus, you, or to God. You cannot pray anymore. 
And he's like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, so, but Peter and John replied when they're told, you know, we command you, do not talk about Jesus anymore. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to God? You be the judge. <laughs> As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And this, this line is so important in this passage. This is what we're doing at Christmas time. This is what we're doing at Advent. We are recounting the stories of our faith. We cannot help but talk about Jesus. We cannot help but tell these stories. What we have seen, what we have heard, the personal stories that we tell at Advent, the stories of our faith, the fulfillment of prophecy, the hope of what is yet to come, of the miracles that happened when Jesus was born, of who this little sweet baby would become, this wild leader who makes these religious leaders so afraid and whose followers follow in his footsteps. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And so our text goes on. After further threats, they keep you know, pulling out their punishments, their, their reprimands, these the Sanhedrin group, then they let them go. Fine, you can go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God. How problematic for religious leaders. All the people are praising God, but we do not like their leaders. <laughs> for the men, for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. <laughs> I feel like, well people over 40. That's just offensive. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but this significant thing happened. And so we have the same, we have the same tumult that was the case in Jesus's life now being lived out by his followers. This legacy, this power of the Holy Spirit continues on. And so how does this matter for us? What does this mean for us today? What does this mean for Advent? Why does this matter? We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. During Advent, we can kind of become fixated with all the things that we have to do to make Christmas marvelous for all of our loved ones, all the things that we need to check off and have happen before the end of the calendar year, academic year. But this is our real task, is just to tell the story, just to keep telling the story. What have you seen? What have you heard? This is, this is where we testify to the good news of Jesus. And so in Luke 1, this baby who is described in one of our Christmas carols as mild, <laughs> this mild child, which I think Jesus wasn't mild. Um, the angel of this, of this baby, the angel says to the mother, and the mother certainly could not have been mild herself to be like this woman ready to mother this robust, intense world-changing leader that Jesus would be. So the angel says 
to this very strong mother, he, your son, will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Jesus's amazing mother says this prophetic word of the son who will be born to her. These prophetic words, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Luke tells us, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. The angel says this. Mary says this. Luke tells us this story. What do we have to say about this powerful leader born as a baby, this cornerstone? There is a passage in Ephesians which says of Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are being built together as a temple, a dwelling place for the spirit of God. This is what we're doing. And Jesus is our chief cornerstone, the one who gives us direction, the one who gives us a firm foundation, the one who is our support, who helps us to know exactly how to go, how to build, how to remain steady, how to be firm. And so there's a song that many of us have sung that says, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. Jesus is our cornerstone. And so how I'd love for us um, to move into worship is our, our worship leaders are gonna come and lead us in a final song but I want us to, to out loud say Psalm 118 together to proclaim the good news of this cornerstone, this fulfillment of prophecy as we remember Jesus, the chief cornerstone. If you would, please stand to your feet and let's together read these words of Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, 
His love endures forever. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.